it. It's building. It's building. It's electric at the moment. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes, yes. Welcome to Gay FL, a queer footy podcast. This is Brendan. And this is Chris. Hello, hello. Hello, everybody. Firstly, we just really wanted to thank everyone that listened to our first episode and to everyone that actually took the time to comment and send us some really nice feedback. Yeah, thank you, everybody. We love you all, and we're really happy that you're liking what we're doing so far. Really appreciated it. Uh, I guess I really wanted to mention as well, like our goal for this podcast is to do an episode every round. So it will be weekly, but it's kind of off season at the moment. So we're kind of, you know, we're kind of running on gay time. Yeah, we're we're just playing it it by ear, but yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Hello, Christopher. How are you doing? I'm good, Brendan. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm just really still coming down from last weekend. It was crazy. It was a big one. It was. Um, for those of you that are listening, last week we had a pretty big weekend. Um, as pretty big Essendon supporters, um, Chris and I look forward to Family Day every year. You know, it's it's a really good opportunity to to go to the hangar and, you know, watch the players do their pre-matches and, and have a bit of a chat and, you know, maybe get a signature or a selfie or two. Um, but unfortunately this year we did to our horror discover that there was a bit of a clash just a minor scheduling conflict nothing significant we we had we had concert tickets and look it's a little known artist you may have heard of her you may not she's had like a hit or two one or two like maybe um her name is taylor swift taylor swift and essendon did us the great disservice of scheduling family day instead of in march on the same day as we happened to have tickets to Taylor Swift. Yeah, we were kind of devo because it's normally um, family day is in March. So we kind of were planning that. And um, I guess not unfortunately, but, you know, Tay-Tay had her first or her second Melbourne concert that we went to uh, last Saturday, uh, the 17th? The 17th. 17th of Feb. um, Also clashed with family day. And for those of you who are listening, you're probably like, um, family day ended at two o'clock. And Taylor started at 7.30, but, you know, we're running on gay time and... We needed to do our hair. We need to do our hair. We need to put on our makeup. We need to get our outfits coordinated. We need to pre-drink. The pre-drinking was actually really important. Pre-drinking was very important. Chris also had his best duty. Shout out to Sarah. Um, She visited us from Adelaide. We love Sarah. Love Sarah to join us for the concert. Um, And you know what? We we just had to get ready and we couldn't... um, we didn't have the time, so... So I was faced with the impossible decision. Do I get my brand new number 11 Guernsey signed by Gresham, or do I see my Queen Taylor Swift in concert? And I'm sorry, Gresham, I love you, but Taylor won. Look, I think Taylor will appreciate that. And to be completely honest, I think Essendon and Gresham will probably understand. I think so. they will. There are a couple of Essendon players, Dylan Shield in particular, and Harry Jones, that will definitely understand. Exactly. So we wanted to start off, obviously, last week was Taylor Swift um, in Melbourne, uh, record-breaking. Um, you know, we know this is a footy podcast, but, you know, Taylor was at the MCG. Yeah, it's definitely footy related. Definitely footy related. Um, there was a cute video of 
the AFL boys as well as the Essendon Essendon boys doing their favorite songs. Um, I was quite I was quite intrigued by some of the players' choices. Yeah, it really spun me out. Some of them were picking some really old school and obscure songs, which um, I they I think they they there may be some deep down Swifties in, in in the Essendon Football Club and the AFL. Yeah, I was surprised as well. Like I think the biggest thing for me was you, you see the players that have probably listened to her in passing, and they you know they said love story and you belong with me, but. There were some choices. I mean, shout out to Dylan Shield, uh, Gold Rush. His favorite live performance is Vigilante Shit. I think he's a Swifty down at the hangar. We do love Shelf and we do love Taylor and putting them together is a match made in heaven. Absolutely. Absolutely. Shit. And we had a little bit of a moment at the concert. Um, you, you left me for a brief second just to go to the bar and I'm still devastated that I didn't come with you because you had a chance encounter. Yeah, I sure did. Um, I went to the bar and I got my bevies um, and as I was leaving, I, I ran into, um, you know, Tomahawk, Tom Hawkins himself. The one and only. The one and only. Um, you know, he was there. I, I actually said hello to him. I, I don't know how many Swifties recognized him. Yeah, maybe maybe he's not the same demographic. No, he had the hat on, so it was very Joe from you. Like, you couldn't tell who he was. Definitely. Complete incognito. Very incognito. But, um, no, he was really sweet. I said hello to him, and I, I asked him if he was with his kids, and he wasn't. He was with his wife. Um, And I just I said I'd hope he had a good time, and he was really kind enough to take a selfie with me. But um, looking back, I am so spewing. I did not trade friendship bracelets with him. Devastated. I, I Honestly, I was kind of starstruck. Um, and I did see on his Instagram story that he only had one. So it's it's something that will live me for the rest of my life. So uh, Hawkins, if you ever listen to this, I have a few friendship bracelets. I'm wearing them now. I'm shaking them. You can't hear them. I would love to trade them with you. But it wasn't only the great Tomahawk that's a deep down Swifty. Yeah, I think there was actually a few Swifties there at the MCG for Tay Tay. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you checked out quite a few on Instagram. Who did we see? Yeah, um, the AFL was really generous for their um their Tay Tay love. So I think we saw um we saw Dylan Shields. So that was really cute. I hope he enjoyed his live performance of Vigilante Shit. How could you know it was iconic? Absolutely. Um, Max Gorm was there. He had a few friendship bracelets on. Love Maxi. Love him. Bonnie Tugord, she was there. She had a few friendship bracelets on. She is epic. She is just too good. Uh, Darcy Moore was there. And we love Darcy. And we love Darcy. Yeah. Um, one of my favorites was actually Josh Dacos. Because yes. in the AFL video a couple of weeks ago, he said his favorite Taylor song was actually Don't Blame Me from Reputation. And if you go to the AFL Instagram, one of the slides is him singing quite passionately to Don't Blame Me. So I hope he enjoyed that. And if you haven't seen Josh Dacos belting out a Taylor Swift song, put it on your must-watch list on YouTube. Absolutely. Um, the biggest one, probably, literally the biggest one, um, you know. Definitely the biggest. The biggest. The, the tall man himself, Mason Cox. Oh, Mason. I remember when the tickets came out back in June, July, um, Mason Cox put up a tweet saying that he apologizes to any Swifties that are caught up behind him. But he actually went one further than that and went on the project after the show and said, if anyone was behind me and I blocked your view, reach out to me on social media and I'll get you free tickets to a Collingwood game. And ironically enough, the people standing behind him were Collingwood fans. They, were. they did. And actually, he released a photo as well. There was a photo on the socials that um, you could, how can you not see him? You know, he's a 
big cocks. <laughs> um, very tall. Um, I think he probably had some really good tickets, so I, I hope he enjoyed it. He definitely had the good seats. Mm, but no, absolutely. But um, I mean, MCG, like, it's such a multi-platform, iconic arena. You know, having Taylor Swift, 96,000 people per night. It was a huge deal. For three nights, and not to mention the 40,000 people that were outside listening. Mm, I, I can't imagine, you know, I think it was so great seeing, you know, Taylor Swift in Australia's arguably the greatest stadium. But, the greatest uh, stadium in the world. Greatest stadium in the world. But um, I guess now the MCG, Chris, I'll, I'll let you take this one. Yeah, the big conversation at the moment is the MCG turf relay, which um, it's the largest undertaking that the AFL's ever had to do for resurfacing the MCG at a cost of $1.5 million. And I would like to point out for the people that complained, the keyboard warriors, the promoters foot that bill, not the taxpayer. So maybe back off a little bit. How much did um like how much did Taylor make per night? I think she was bringing home about fifteen million US a night. So I think that's pocket change to her. She doesn't mind fixing the grass. It, you know, there is the the observation about safety and and the quality and the look of the ground for round one. But the AFL have assured everyone that they've done a lot of undertaking and learnings from this from the Ed Sheeran concert about a year ago, and they have more lead time. They've cancelled all the events on the MCG coming up and they've assured us that it's going to be safe. It may not be as pretty as usual, but it's going to be good to go by round one for sure. And who do we, how would we not trust the AFL? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's going to be great. Like, I think it'll be up and running. How many days do we have left until round one? 11 sleeps. 11 sleeps. So, um, you know, I'm sure the MCG will be up and running. It'll be great. And, um, yeah, it was it was a great experience just seeing so many people. I've never seen the MCG so packed, but yeah, I've never been to a grand final. I'm, I'm an Essendon fan, so, you know. Yeah, it's been a while. And I'm looking forward to getting back to that hallowed ground, grabbing a hot dog and a beer and sitting down to watch the Red and Black take on, I think it's Hawthorne. Yeah, Hawthorne's round one. So, absolutely. So, um, enough about Taylor Swift and the MCG. So, breaking news. And by breaking news, it was a few days ago. Um, but, yeah, gay time. Um, probably the biggest story, Chris. Yeah, the biggest story of the week that we're going to talk about is uh, Angus Brayshaw's retirement from the Melbourne Football Club. He is a great of the Melbourne Football Club. He's only 28 years old, 167 games, premiership player. And, obviously, it's, it's very sad to see him end his career before his time. But I want to say that I fully respect his reason for doing it. Mm. Um, obviously, he's put his health first and the club has supported him in doing that. And that's so important because what we know about head trauma now and the effects that it can have later in life particularly you look at Shane Tuck from Richmond into a couple of years ago what well, you know I think that the boys need to look after themselves and he obviously did like he wore his helmet and everything like that but you know it was time to hang up his boots for his own safety and we wish him all the best for his future career and uh, very happy to see what he does next yeah absolutely I mean CTE is such a big issue in in any sort of contact sport so I can't imagine it was an easy decision for him, but, you know, he's made that choice that's, um, you know, for his health. And, you know, we wish him nothing but the best for the future. He had a very celebrated career. so Yeah, and there are just some things that are bigger than the game. Yeah, absolutely. So um, on to bigger and better things, Angus. For those of you tuning in from Melbourne, I hope you enjoyed the Midsummer Festival. I know you, I certainly did. I think you did, Brendan. Yeah, I sure did. It was great. And, um... For those of you tuning in from the rest of the country, happy Mardi Gras for next weekend. Yeah, happy Mardi Gras. I hope everyone has a really fun time. Make sure you be safe, um, drink responsibly. 
and party responsibly. Party um, responsibly. However, um, the end of Midsummer always brings with it Pride March, and there were a few notable attendees this year. Mm, yeah. Um, unfortunately, not us. <laughs> not us. No. We, we were going to go. We had every intention to go. It was 40 degrees. It was 40 degrees, um, and we didn't go, and we were kicking ourselves because it's something that we really enjoy doing. But, and we kicked ourselves even more when we saw who was there. Yeah, um, couldn't help but notice a few really big names marching with purple purple bombers. So um, we saw Sammy Draper there, the big guy himself, the majestic stallion. The majestic stallion that is Samuel Draper. Yep, um, and Bonnie too good. She was also there. And I've already said I love Bonnie. We love Bonnie. But, um, you know, it was really cool to see such big names there marching um, in that, you know, 40 degree heat so um thank you thank you and and anyone that we missed you know thank you for marching and representing the purple bombers and also the other pride groups that were there and i believe there may have been a couple of other players from other clubs as well the the football community was really well represented this year and that's what this whole podcast is about like we're about the queer community linking to football and being being one and the same and it was really nice to see that on such a big platform yeah there was actually quite a few um i you know i can't think of them all off the top of my head but it was actually really cool to see so many you know lgbtq plus pride groups um in the footy community they're marching um so you know amazing work guys and you know we hope to see you there next year and speaking of Pride in Football, uh, we're going to take a slight change of pace this week and talk about there was a documentary, if anyone's seen it, on Four Corners, which was called The Silence, AFL's Last Taboo, and was reported by Louise Milligan. It um, aired in the 21st of August last year and is certainly must-watch if you haven't had a chance to check it out on YouTube or iview. And uh, I think if we were like, if, if we go into this documentary, the one thing that I took out of it above all else was that the men's AFL competition is the only elite sporting code in the world without an out gay player, past or present. I mean, just just let that sink in a moment. Mm. It's it still baffles me today. Like you know, the footy's been around for so long, and you know, all these other elite sports, there are so many, you know, we can name a few, uh, Ian Roberts, Josh Cavallo, um, Isaac Humphreys, so many out professional players in these elite sports, but AFL is kind of the one, the one factor that doesn't have an openly out player in the professional league, in the men's professional league. Obviously in the men's, the women's game is a whole different subject and we're definitely going to talk about that in this as well. And it is covered in the documentary uh, if you do happen to check it out. Mm, highly recommended. So I guess starting, you know, uh, something we want to go through, uh, you know, we have a few key points that we wanted to discuss. So, you know, we open the documentary and there's a few talking heads from Eddie McGuire and Bob Murphy just talking about their love for the game. Um, but there's also a bit of a, a juxtaposition between the um, the hyper-masculinity, yeah. um, you know, versus the, you know, the need for equality and, and the need for, you know, a lack of discrimination in the game. And when we talk about sports that are hyper-masculine, that do have out gay players, I mean... Talk, you mentioned Ian Roberts. Ian Roberts was a rugby league player for anyone that doesn't know him. And he came out in 1995. So mm. almost 30 years ago. But I mean, let's let's go a step beyond that. I actually was looking into this online. Um, the Ultimate Fighting Club has out, 
out gay fighters. Mm. Boxing has out gay boxers. Mm. But the AFL is is this kind of island that it, it's, you know. Yeah, very much agree. Uh, we have some really good talking points. Uh, one notable one I'd say is Michael O'Donnell. Uh, he's a UNSW player for the, who's he play for? Eastern Bulldogs. Eastern Bulldogs. Yeah. Um, you know, he talks about when he was growing up, he really did enjoy the AFL, um, but he just didn't feel like it was a place for him, which was quite relevant of what we spoke about in our first episode. Yeah, it's something we definitely both related to as fans. So, like, being in the locker room and on the field, I, I think it would have been a heightened version of what we felt at that time. Mm, absolutely. I, I thought it was interesting how he talked about as well how much he felt isolated as a teenager and how he felt quite excluded. And, you know, it was obviously something he was passionate about. He plays now, but back then it kind of... it you know, it almost forced him out of, you know, doing something that he loved because he just didn't feel like there was a place for him. And I think we, we both relate to growing up in the, the era that we did and, and the slurs that you heard on and off the field. And, you know, you can only imagine what was going on when the players weren't mic'd up and under the scrutiny that they are now and in the culture that was around at that time. Mm, absolutely. Um, You know, there, there's clearly there has been decades of homophobia and discrimination in the AFL. You know, let's not let's not, you know, butter it up. Let's not, you know, sugarcoat it. Um, it's for a queer supporter of the game. It's, you know, it hasn't been quite easy. And it goes past the on-field as well. I mean, if we're going to talk about the, the, the early 2000s and the old guard of football, like, I mean, we can't not talk about the footy show. Mm. I mean, that goes far back as like the, the 90s, like yeah. the footy show and seeing God, I, you know, I hate to say his name, but Sam Newman, just the constant homophobia and, you know, I remember he made these comments and they highlighted it in the silence. Um, you know, a guy, you know, kissing his boyfriend after celebrating, he, he described it, yeah, he described it as gratuitous. Yeah. And like the, the jokes about the shower from Billy Brownless, like don't drop the soap and the jokes about if they're taking your temperature, make sure it's actually a thermometer. Like this was the casual homophobia that was on network primetime TV while we were growing up watching football and look, bless him, like love him or hate him. And you know, you can have your own opinion. That's fine. But one thing is really evident in this documentary is that Eddie Maguire is an ally but the one thing about Eddie that I find really interesting is the good stuff that he does is not what he talks about and listening to him and his stance on what he's done to to be an ally to the queer community over the time I, I it was really refreshing to hear mm. no I definitely want to go back to that but I just want to you know segue back to the footy show I have vivid recollections of watching it as you know growing up with a footy family we would watch it on you know Monday night Tuesday night etc mm -hmm. it was Thursday nights actually um but we would watch it my whole family would sit down and watch it my mum my dad my brothers my sisters um, and you know, I remember the, the umpire Roland, who was kind of like the butt of the jokes, yeah. um, you know, he was a gay umpire. I, I don't know what he's doing now. Um, but I remember the constant, constant jabs and, and smutty humor towards him and, and being a young gay kid or being not sure of your sexuality or feeling like you are different, like that was fucking horrible to watch. And I just remember, I have a vivid memory as well of watching it. And there was a segment with, I think it was Doug Hawkins from, from Bulldogs at the time. Um, and there was some sort of soap video or something like that. And, and I remember my mum watching it and being like, they look like a bunch of puffs. Yeah. 
And, and that was from watching, you know, watching that show and, and I, you know, I didn't exactly know what it was back then. I was maybe 10 when this was happening, but I certainly know it made me feel pretty shitty about myself. So I can't imagine actually, you know, from watching the footy show and being a player like Michael O'Donnell or, you know, Jason Ball is someone who I want to talk about, but, you know, actually playing the game and, and seeing all this around you, like it's horrible. Yeah, and as we said, like it was the casual homophobia that was in in football at that time was blatant, like it was overt. Like, um, you know, I remember distinctly as a little kid being at the SANFL and I'm not going to say the words because I don't say these words, but the things that people used to call the players and mm. the players used to call each other that was just kind of like accepted as part of the game. And look, I'm not saying that the AFL haven't taken steps and haven't tried to rectify this. You know, they have brought um, sexual um, vilification to be on the same level as racial, which rightly so. But, you know, there's obviously, and, and even the, the head of inclusion at, at AFL ad admitted there's still a really long way to go. Yeah. And it's very true. Um, it's sad. I don't want to be a bit of a Debbie Downer, but, you know, the AFL needs to do more. And, you know, that's why we're talking about this episode. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, there is a reason why there is this silence in, you know, particularly the AFL. Um, one thing I thought was really interesting, Chris, uh, and, you know, we rewatched the documentary before we did this, this episode, mm. um, um, that Michael O'Donnell had commented that, um, there was actually, uh, for the regional team or the rural team, um, there's actually for the men's team, there's a gay pride round around, around, not a gay pride game. I mean, we know, you know, with the AFL, we have, you know, Sydney versus St. Kilda and um, Ascended versus West, West Coast, yeah. you know, we've attended these games. Um, but you know, the representation certainly could be more. I, I remember a couple of years ago, um, during the marriage equality act, um, I remember the players were wearing, you know, rainbow Guernseys. These were the AFL players and they don't even sell these anymore. Like I remember, uh, asking Carl Langford what he did and he sent it to his, uh, he sent it to a family member, um, yeah. you know, someone who we really admired, who was a part of the LGBTQ uh, community. But, you know, I've, it's really weird because I've looked for these Guernseys and they're not something you don't buy or you can buy anymore. And yeah. They don't, don't exist. They don't exist. And I know it sounds kind of silly, but like, it's kind of like they don't even throw us a bone anymore. Like they don't even wear, um, I, I, gosh, how hard is it to do some rainbow socks or, or an armband or rainbow laces, yeah. you know, something like that. But I think the, the biggest, the biggest thing is that, um, it's not really publicized. Like, um, I know we said it last, last episode, but we didn't know that, you know, we didn't know that the Eston pride, ma pride match was coming up. Um, we only found out two reasons. We found out from the Purple Bombers and we find out, we found out because Carl Langford told us that the Pride round was coming up. You know, there's no advertising. There's nothing like that on the AFL, you know, on the AFL social media. Um, and you know, <laughs> I, it sounds like I'm really critiquing the AFL, but it kind of does go back to, it goes back to the AFL. Yeah. And on that, I, I believe her name is Tanya Hausch. I think it was. Tanya Hausch. Tanya Hausch. She's the diversity and inclusion officer for like head of diversity and inclusion. CEO. Yeah. yeah. And she was asked because in, in the year 2000, the Australian government 
issued a directive to all codes, not just AFL, that they needed to tackle homophobia in sport. And the, uh, the, the then CEO set out the idea that there would be, that the AFL would be a world leader. And in this documentary from 2023, so we're talking 23 years later, um, Tanya was asked, is the AFL a leader in diversity and inclusion? And to paraphrase her, her response was, being a world leader is a great ambition to have, but we aren't there yet. Mm. And her second comment, to paraphrase her again, was great work is being done behind the scenes. But it's not enough to do great work behind the scenes. Like the whole point, the whole argument, argument about diversity and inclusion is it's about visibility. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess, you know, some other things we want to talk, uh, sort of tackle, <laughs> tackle, um, we are a footy fan. <laughs> um, in April, 2023, um, you know, Gil McLaughlin made some comments, yeah. um, about the, uh, you know, the situation, I guess, Chris, did you want to talk about that first? Yeah, we talked about this and, um, it's something that Brendan and I have kind of debated a little bit and gone over and on the parts we see eye to eye on the parts we don't, but. In the documentary, Gill is criticised, I think, quite harshly um, for a comment that he made um, about... He was making a positive comment about being supportive of AFL gay players, but he used a word that was taken offence to by some of the community where he said that coming out and being the first would be a burden. Mm. Um, and the, the 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 commentary was that that was not necessarily a positive slant and that he could have used better language. Yeah. And look, I, I don't think, I think at the end of the day, he was being supportive. Like, mm. he, he, you know, he did say that there, you know, there are, op- I guess, not openly out of the AFL AFL uh, community bubble, yeah. out of the AFL bubble, but there are, you know, out gay players to their, you know, there are to their coaches, there are to their teammates. I mean, you look at, you know, we did the math, the population, you know, there's probably about 800, yeah. roughly 800 players at the yeah. moment, short of 800. And, you know, 10% of Australia's population is gay. So you detract that from the football players, but looking at about 70 or 80 players that, you know, are potentially identify as LGBTQ. Um, and that could be that they're sexually fluid. Um, they could just be men that have sex with men. Like men, uh, bisexual, uh, non-binary. Pansexual, yeah. Pansexual, um, you know, so many different, you know, different factors. But going back to Gil, I think what he said, you know, he was being positive. I do agree with some of the members of the community um, that burden probably wasn't the best choice of words. And it's it's easy for him to say that as a cis white you know, straight man, he can say that, but, you know, you've got people like Jason Ball and Michael O'Donnell saying that, you know, them coming out, it wasn't a burden. It was them being able to kind of be their true selves. They felt it was kind of a privilege. And this was the interesting thing that I found from the documentary when we talk about what the the members of the community commented on is that their their argument, right, rightly or wrongly, was that it, it's not a burden, it's a privilege. But I guess my, my point of view is, is why can't it be both? Like, you know, I, I think about like, and I go back to Ian Roberts that I mentioned from the NRL community who came out in 1995 and I Google his name and try, try and find his stats, try and find who he played for or how many premierships he won. All you will find is articles from the Daily Mail and stuff like that saying he's the first out gay player. And I think while it would be a great privilege to be that beacon of hope for the young queer community who are interested in football and to be the first one. I, I, I just don't see 
that it's not both, like that it would be a little bit of a burden to have your entire career defined by one aspect of your personality instead of how many Brownlows or premierships or goals you score. Yeah. But I mean, mm-hmm. look, to play devil's advocate, I mean, he came out, but that was a long time ago. And it, it was media has certainly changed. Yeah. And I, I still think, you know, I agree with, you know, Michael O'Donnell and Jason Ball, where they say that, you know, visibility is so fucking important. Um, you know, visibility is, is very important in our community. And look, I would like to believe, and maybe this is being me very naive, being very naive. I would like to believe that if, you know, a male player did come out, I would like to believe that they would be very supported and, you know, we know they're going to get hate and we know they're going to get nasty comments. They are, yeah. And, you know, you never read the comments, but I would like to believe the small, you know, the small horrible people is a small vocal minority. I think so too. And I think, I actually think football in a way has proven this. Mm. Um, and I don't pretend for the slightest second that this was an easy road for her or, uh, you know, a bump free road or that she didn't cop the comments and, you know, some, some pretty shit things happen. But, um, the way the footy community has chosen as a whole to embrace Danny lately. Yeah. Um, I think representative, if, the community could learn her pronouns and learn her name and not dead name her and be comfortable with her going to the Brownlow with her female partner. And looking stunning. And looking amazing. That dress was flawless. Um, I think the I, th- I think the AFL community as a whole is ready for a guy to take his male partner to the Brownlow. Mm. I remember you telling me, Chris, a couple of years ago, um, and this is kind of off topic, but I remember you told me there was... Was it, there was something where a bunch of guys were taking... Oh, the port guys. The port guys. Port guys, they take each other to the brown line. Yeah. I just, I would love to see one day, you know, an out male player actually take his, you know, his partner. um, But, yeah. And I don't pretend it's going to be easy for them. And as I said, I think it will define their career, unfortunately. Mm. But I think they will offer that beacon of hope hope to younger people or to other players that are maybe not quite there yet. But I, I I genuinely think that the community can be ready for it as a whole, but it's just a matter of them being able to get past not reading the comments basically of that vocal minority that, that want to make an issue out of it. And we, I guess we also have to ask, you know, watching that documentary, it is quite eye-opening how much support would one of the boys have if they did decide to actually come out? Um, you know, how much protection would they get from the actual squad? Because it's, it's not that they're, it's almost like not that they're choosing to not want to come out. And I think to be honest, at the end of the day, I don't think it's necessarily that they're choosing not to come out. I think it might be that they're afraid to come out because they doubt that they'll get the support from the squad that they that that they do deserve, and that they and that they need as well. But I think it might be bigger than just the squad. I mean, football clubs are a family, and I I think I I genuinely think, and I maybe I'm being idealistic now, but I think the players that are players who identify as men who have sex with men that are currently in the league and the the other the club know about it i think they they are getting the support i'd like to believe that they are getting the support from their teammates and club but i think the problem is actually a little bit bigger than club level Mm. um i think it might be twofold one is 
you know, reading the comments section. There was this Izzy. Never read the comments. Never read the comments. But there's one. Izzy Huntington. Izzy Huntington made a, a comment of some of the, the homophobic abuse that she's copped on social media. And I think there's that fear. But the bigger fear, I think, is that the AFL, I mean, they barely talk the talk. Yeah. But they definitely don't walk the walk as far as inclusion and diversity goes. I mean, they're still tackling racism. And mm. that's an issue that's been, you know, in the in the forefront for a lot longer than this. And um, I, I think the AFL needs to bring a lot more visibility around the issue and put their money and their words and their actions where their mouth is. Yeah, agree. And the fact, like I said, we only have one pride game and every, well, two pride games, sorry, in the men's squad. And yeah. every time we have it, there's always some comment, you know, from some, uh, sorry, uh, boomer straight guy, boomer straight white guy. And they're always like, can't we just, you know, why is it a pride round? You know, kind of where's our straight pride round? Uh, 22 of the rounds are straight pride round. Let us have two. Let, let, let us have this one. Yeah. You know, let us have something. You know? Give us something. Give because, us a bone. Because the AFL is very good and celebrate certain aspects of diversity and certain um, my, uh, marquee rounds. Mm. And I don't want to take away from those rounds because those rounds are equally important. Mm. But I think there's space in the 22 or 24 games in the season to actually talk about us as well. Absolutely. Um, you know, and I think, you know, on a, on a more positive note, I think who really does it well is the AFLW. Absolutely. And Izzy commented on this as well in the documentary about how well um, the the AFLW celebrates diversi diversity and inclusion. And the comment she made was that people were, people were kind of, I'm paraphrasing badly, but people were kind of saying that there are a lot of lesbians in the AFLW. And she's like, no, there are a lot of lesbians in society, Yeah, but we just have an environment that is safe and inclusive enough that they can be their authentic selves. And isn't that the world we want to live in? Yeah. Like, and I mean, I mean, beyond that, the, the AFLW has non-binary, multiple non-binary. Yeah, we have this also on Captain uh, to Lucas Rod, who does identify as non-binary. And, and, they, and they've had the opportunity to not only succeed in the league, but to rise to the captaincy, like the most senior player level that they can achieve and, and be celebrated for themselves. And their comments on making the decision about whether to come out or not mm. um, and whether they could keep going, keeping it a secret and their decision to not do that was really wonderful to hear. Yeah. It just seems like the AFLW is, um, you know, miles ahead of the AFL when it comes to, you know, inclusion and diversity and, and making it a safe space. And maybe it's safety in numbers or maybe it's just that, the people that are the, the vocal minority are less upset about two women being together than two men. That's a whole nother topic. I don't know. I'm just kind of spitballing, but yeah, yeah, I think that there there is sometimes a, dis, a discrepancy in society between how male male couples and female female couples are viewed. Mm. Another thing I thought was really interesting was Eddie McGuire made some comments about uh, Danny Laidley, how, you know, she had come to him when, you know, all that shit had happened, you know, those, uh, Vic Pohl, you know, leaking the, the photo of her and just, oh God, all the horrible comments and everything that was made against her. And she actually reached out, you know, to Eddie McGuire at her lowest point. And, you know, Eddie... <laughs> It seems like he was actually quite supportive to his benefit. Um, and, you know, he has a quote where he says that, you know, Danny thought the AFL would, you know, kill her, but it ended up actually saving her. 
and on Eddie as well, like, let's not forget, and I, I know I've been cheer squatting him today, which is really weird for me, but like, Eddie McGuire was the person who interviewed Matt Hall, who was an amateur footballer who passed away from HIV recently. And back, uh, about 25 years ago, he was banned from playing because of his HIV status. But in 1998, he came out as an amateur footballer who was a HIV positive man, a person living with HIV, sorry. In 1998. 1998, which, and like for anyone that was around, it was a very different time back then, but he didn't come out about his sexuality until after he stopped playing in 2002. And it's mm. like, he was, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but all I'm going to say is it was a harder conversation for him to have publicly mm. about his sexuality than it was about HIV. And I think, what does that say about the culture of the AFL? Yeah. You know, that culture of silence. Um, I thought it was interesting as well that Louise Milligan, she did try and reach out to some current players mm. and past players. And, you know, she did reach out to the league. She reached out to the Players Association. She, you know, she did her research. Um, and, you know, she did have some current and former players, um, you know, come out and, and they told her that they were gay and, you know, they knew that there was, you know, gay players in the, in the current league. But they ended up ghosting her because it was kind of like such a sensitive topic. Um, and I thought it was interesting as well that Louise reached out to the AFL directly. Um, and her direct comments was that it was quite, they got quite defensive. Like they didn't want yeah. to speak about. The clubs did. Yeah, the clubs got defensive. Yeah. And one club, they, she doesn't name it, but one club um, didn't allow them to film the documentary. Like an ABC unbiased documentary wasn't allowed to film at one of the clubs. She was accused of having aggressive questioning because she asked, had the had the clubs done anything about... The, or what had they been doing? Know, what, they been, yeah. what were they doing? Um, and I think, you know, it, it comes back to the, the interesting correlation between these are the same clubs that run the AFLW. Mm, the, yeah. the men's and women's clubs are the same clubs. Mm, absolutely. And, the, the, you know, it, I think it highlights that discrepancy again between the leagues. And there was a really interesting comment that I found from um, a, a lady named Chloe Clark, who's an activism coordinator from Amnesty International. And she was saying that, you know, in leagues that have a pride round where it is kind of, you know, at the forefront, it is visible, it is spoken about it reduces homophobic slurs and abuse on the field and off the field by up to 40%. And it creates that visibility. Yeah. Like, you know, if you are a little gay boy or a little gay girl or, you know, non-binary and you like the football, it creates that visibility that you need and you don't feel so fucking isolated. And you have a place in the in the community, which is what we talked about in our first episode about why we both removed ourselves from football in the first place in our late teenage years. Mm. I did think as well, back to Chloe, what she said that, you know, when it came to every other professional sporting league, yeah. um, the AFL wasn't just behind. It was, it didn't even, like, it didn't even compare to yeah. what every other sport was doing when it came to inclusion. Yeah, 100%. And um, I would, as I said before, I would love to see the AFL put their actions where their mouth is um, or even just use their mouth a little bit more and, like, let's have this conversation. Mm, like, absolutely. Um, and, you know, we have seen, I guess, to go back to be a little bit more, you know, positive, 
I remember, I actually remember when Jason Ball did come out and, you know, it was quite the juxtaposition because he loved the game, but he was also an activist. Um, and they do quite, they highlight in the documentary that, um, you know, he created a petition back when he came out in, you know, back in 2012, um, for like a no homophobia displays and a campaign in the AFL. And he was met with silence. With silence. Yeah, absolutely. Everything goes back to this silence. And, and, but, but sometimes I think what's said is worse than what's not said. And Mm. if we're going to talk about Jason Ball, we cannot talk about Jason Ackermanis. So in the, in the noughties, uh, I've literally in my notes for this episode, I've got Jason Ackermanis, Ackermanis, ill, Ill. exclamation mark. Um, so the, the, he was contracted because he was, uh, he had a column after he retired in a Sydney newspaper, I think it was a Melbourne newspaper, Mm. uh, that was, and he was contracted by the AFL to speak on the subject of homosexuality in men's AFL. Like who picked him? What was, how he was a mouthpiece for this subject? What were his qualifications? I ask you, but, uh, and look, the article that came out uh, for anyone that remembers it or watches the documentary was perhaps not colored in a way that the AFL potentially intended it to. And, um, the, the headline was stay in the closet, which he claims was misquoted, but here's the interesting thing. And these are direct quotes. He said, what he said was quote, why would you bother quote? Why would you want to quote? Is it worth it? And I ask you, is that so different than the stay in the closet headline that he got? He thinks he was misquoted, but I certainly don't think he was. And he also follows that up with this a charming comment that we've all heard a million times. I'm not homophobic, but don't throw it in my face. Yeah. And if you have a problem with my comments, um, it's not me. And I quote, maybe you need to go get counselling. Yeah. And this was the person that was contracted by the AFL to speak on the subject. So this is an example of where the AFL clearly got it wrong, but not only did they get it wrong, they haven't rectified it. Yeah. Agree. Agree. Um, yeah, definitely. That's something. Um, I just wanted to touch on Jason Ball again. I thought it was really sweet that, you know, Brock McLean, um, who was, um, you know, he was in the Carlton and he was in Demons. He was quite a big support and he was the first professional player to march in, um, Melbourne Pride March in Fitzroy Street. So, you know, thank you, Brock. Thank you. I just want to briefly touch upon um, Eric Dennison, who is a Monashuni leading expert in homophobic language in sport. Um, he makes some really interesting comments that, you know, it really does originate from a junior footy league. And I certainly remember when I was playing footy as, you know, in, in, in primary school, it was something I experienced. And, you know, I only wonder, you know, to open up a can of worms, but, you know, where does that come from? And does it all start there? And yeah. And where does it go from there? I mean, if it's starting at junior footy, I mean, Ian Dunstan, who's quite high up in the junior leagues, was talking about this in the documentary, how he had to take a 12-year-old to the tribunal for using the F word, which I won't repeat on this podcast because we all hate it. But like when he took the 12-year-old to the tribunal, he didn't even know what the word meant. Mm, He just used it because he'd heard older men using it, we assume. Yeah. And you have to wonder how different it would be if, you know, there was more, if the AFL did more to, you know, kind of discredit that in the AFL community. And bring visibility around it, which is what the point we keep making over and over again. And that's, you know, that's kind of all we're asking for. 
you know, equality and, you know, give us more pride rounds. Yeah. <laughs> give us a pride round. Hey, it's pride. a pride game. Yeah. Yeah. Two games. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're almost at the end of this. Um, I guess something that Chris and I wanted to touch upon was, um, you know, one of my favorite commentators from the documentary was uh, former Western Bulldogs uh, member of the leadership team, Bob Murphy. Yeah, he has a lot of really interesting things to say in this documentary. And interesting, he hasn't actually said anything publicly until he's, you know, until this documentary approached him. And he was kind of a key figure in when, you know, Akamanis came out and said those comments. Um, he was kind of such a, you know, key factor in having Akamanis removed from, you know, the Western Bulldogs because, you know, he refused to tolerate that as an ally of the LGBTQ. Uh, plus community. Yeah. And he made some really interesting comments reflecting on himself. And I honestly think he was too hard on himself mm. about his own internalized homophobia that he experienced, um, as a younger, as a younger player where he had a case of the yips where his goal kicking was well off and he was, uh, demeaning himself using slurs and as a as a slightly older man he's reflected on himself and gone how did I contribute to anyone who might have heard me who is listening and I do think he's too hard on himself and I I honestly want to say to to people like that being an ally is about learning from your experience and mistakes it's not about getting it right necessarily the first time oh absolutely I think you know the most important thing that I took away from that was the self-reflection that he had. Like he, you know, he says himself, like he looks back and he's so hard on himself. He thinks, you know, what if someone who is gay was behind him and, you know, he was so well-respected well and what happens if they heard him making those slurs and, you know, he presented himself as an ally? Yeah. And I think, um, I think there are, there are times in, in the equality debate, whether it's about trans rights or gay rights or racial rights, where we've all kind of made mistakes. And I think be, as I said, being an ally is learning from them and, mm. and not repeating them and improving on them and becoming a better ally and being self-aware. Yeah. And I think asking the question, like, you know, asking questions, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And I think if you are prepared to educate yourselves, um, you know, I think that's, that's what really counts. And as far as I'm concerned, any pay player, past or present, who's prepared to put their hat on their on their head and go, I'm an ally and I'm prepared to speak about this. Mm. I respect that in the environment that we have. Mm. And, you know, Bob does come out and say that if, you know, there is a player that does come out, you know, how much he wants to embrace them and support them and tell them how loved they are, which was which was really sweet. It was it was actually quite, you know, I'm not going to cry because I'm dead inside, but if I were, you know, if I were able to, uh, you know, I thought that was really, um, really touching. He goes so far as to say, because he works for the Fremantle Football Club now, and he goes so far as to say he wants an out gay player in his team and he wants the team to embrace them because he thinks it will make the team better and stronger and help them win flags. Because ultimately when you're authentic to yourself, uh, you're a better person, you're a better player. Yeah. You know, and I think that's in general, like when you're authentic to yourself and, you know, I know, you know we're kind of speaking from a place of privilege. Not everyone can, and we completely understand that. But, you know, when you're at that point, if you're able to be your authentic self, your, your true self, um, you're most powerful. Mm. But yeah, I guess, you know, to wrap that all up, what I would say is, um, listen to the documentary. Yeah. Watch the documentary. Uh, it's free on YouTube. Uh, it's also on ABC iView. Uh, thank you, Louise Milligan for putting it out there. Um, I think the key takeaway I personally took from that was 
um, you know, this cone of silence. Um, it's not a matter of players being, you know, not wanting to come out, but, you know, feeling like they don't have that support. And I think that's a, that's a bigger conversation. And we all want to live in that world where we have it. And I hope it happens soon. Anyway, um, if you've got to us at this point, if you're still listening, thank you all so much. Um, 11 more sleeps. We can't wait. Um, uh, you know, on a lighter note, we did, uh, we, we watched a bit of Essendon's practice match the other day against St Kilda. Um, yeah, I'm glad it was a practice match. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, you know, I'm looking forward to, to round one, you know, I, I cannot wait. Bring it on. Bring it on. All right. Thanks all. Bye. Bye.